0: I want you to know something that voice that's a lie from the pit of hell that voice that says you got to get yourself right you know once you've done the prayer thing and you've been in the Word and you have the desire that's because the reality is our God simply just says what come as you are and truth you told for some of us that's just running God says if you don't have the energy to run towards me just stop and stand still see we have a God the Bible says runs towards us in our brokenness and in our sins so if you're somebody that walked in today just feeling like where I need to be I'm not where I want to be I want you to know you are exactly where you need to be that's why you're here that's what the gospel says let God do the work just be available awfully hard to transition to talking about giving and money from that so I really don't want to I'd rather just jump in but I need to I need to and I just want to I just want to share this many of you know we're doing a Christmas offering you saw the envelope we're about $60,000 behind in our yearly budget and we do this at the end of the year we ask for folks to be generous radically generous and to give towards the ministry of the church but I want to share a quick story with you just to encourage you so so I, uh, I go to dry cleaners get, drop off my clothes it's right in our neighborhood and uh, it's this old Korean lady and uh, I've known her for years because I was actually her kids youth pastor and so I drop off clothes once in a while and I mean, we talk and I ask about her family and so on and so forth. And she's known about our church and our building renovation, right, for a couple of years. and She's been so excited, and, except for a while. Like, I want to come see it. I want to come see it. And I said, of course, to so figure out a time. And So finally, like a month ago, we figured out a time and we met here. So they were waiting outside her and her husband and I brought her in and she walked around the building. and She's smiling from ear to ear. Asking all kinds of questions about the church and renovation and where we're at. And then she sat in here in the sanctuary and she just prayed, which made me feel all awkward. I mean, I'm the pastor, right? And she's sitting there just praying. I was just like, oh, I should maybe go pray too. So I sat and I prayed until she was done. And after she was done, we walked outside. And as we're walking out, she goes, which means Pastor Peter, and she gives me, she gives me this envelope. (laughs) And she says, I want to make an offering for the building campaign. She started crying and I started crying. If, if I could have you um, see the joy that was on her heart as she gave. Um, if I could capture that moment and, and, and be able to communicate to you. The joy that comes from giving—it's um, not a lot of money. I'm not going to tell you how much. Not a lot of money for you, some of you. For her, it's a lot for their family. And she doesn't even come here, but she so believes in the mission of this church she so believes in you and me Um, listen i'll make this quick i want to thank some of you that give faithfully to the ministries of this church we won't be here without you it's as simple as that thank you for your generosity thank you for believing in us and what we're about please continue to support the ministry of this church i also want to speak to those of you that attend regularly so if you're a visitor or you're just kind of checking us out ignore me for the next 30 seconds but if you're a regular attender and you have yet to commit to giving to this church I'm gonna challenge you please be a contributing contributing partner to this church I'm not just talking about money but give up your time your resources your energy support the ministry of this church I'm going to tell you this right now. We as a church don't believe that a discipleship or follower of Jesus just goes to church, consumes and gets and receives and just goes home. We believe that a disciple of Jesus uses their gifts, their talents, their resources to build up the body. Amen? So we could do the ministry of the church. So we want you to know that we don't want you to go anywhere, but if you plan on being a part of this family, please, 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 please read your scripture. And know that you need to contribute don't just come to get give don't be a consumer be a contributor and then for those of you that are members who covenanted to giving and I said this last week in a culture where covenants and commitments mean nothing please be different if you've committed to something follow through on it follow through on it and I said this last week This isn't about numbers and how much. It's about faithfulness, even if it's little, over the long haul. It'd be great if some of you guys wrote big checks and we were able to shore up the budget shortfall by the end of this month. But what's more important, frankly, is that we get some of you to say, even if it's five, 10, 15 dollars, I'm gonna give faithfully and regularly to support the ministry of this church. So please, 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 in this season, Examine your heart and where you're at, not just with the Lord, but with the church, and please contribute and support the ministries of this church. Other people believe in you. In <laughs> the minist what's that? So is God. Support the ministries of this church. Support the ministries of this church. As we uh, continue the series through the book of Daniel, we're actually going to kind of after today come to a, a pause. We're going to end chapter 3 now, as we enter into the season of Advent. And next Sunday and the Sunday after will be two Sundays. We'll focus on the season of Advent and what this means for us. Um, I, love, I love this, this quote. I want to start off with, with a quote. I don't put up tons of quotes, but I want to put this up. Can you put that up there? It's from Oscar Romero the Archbishop of El Salvador who was assassinated in 1980 and I love what he says about this a church that doesn't provoke crisis a gospel that doesn't unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of society in which it is being proclaimed what gospel is that and anybody say amen to that Oscar Romero the reality is if you guys come to church or you're part of a body and you're sort of anesthetized and sleepy and you're never awakened from yourself, nothing offends you, if nothing gets under your skin, if nothing unsettles you, then you might not be hearing the gospel. And this morning as we enter into the end of Daniel chapter 3, we come to this theme of suffering trials and hardships. I got to tell you this past week like this any other week I must have had two, three, four conversations where it went something along the lines of I would not be where I am today if not for hardships, suffering, and trials in my life. I would not be where I am today And, and, and and they talk, they talk as if those things were absolutely vital to who they are and they're becoming. Can anybody relate? But see the thing is, in the American church, we don't like to talk about this topic. We shy away from it and yet we come to this in Daniel chapter 3. In all of my years as a pastor, here's what I've observed about what suffering trials and hardships do to you and to me. First, you lose your self-sufficiency. You lose yourself. What do I mean? It is in times of suffering, trials, and hardships that we come face to face with our frailty, with our mortality. It's during those times, I don't know about you, I come face to face that I live with this illusion and the illusion is that I'm in control. And nothing awakens me from this illusion than trials, suffering, and hardship. Can anybody relate? You know what else I realize? I also realize that I can't do life alone. I also come to realize during these times that I can't do life alone, and I'm coming to need community, and I don't come to realize how much I need community until I really need community. Can anybody relate? Secondly, it refines your commitment to God. I I say this all the time. Think about the times in which you've grown spiritually. Were they during times of ease and peace and comfort, or were they during difficult times? And I say this all the time in our church. It's during those times that what we say we believe in reality becomes what we believe. And that is that we don't realize that God is all that we need until God is all that we want. Have. It refines a commitment to God. And I realize that I'm no longer waiting on the Lord's answers. I'm no longer waiting on the Lord's reward. I'm no longer waiting on the Lord's things. I'm just simply waiting on the Lord. I'm just simply waiting, Advent. I'm just simply waiting on the Lord. You know what I realize, and I put this point up there. God often rescues me, not from suffering, but through suffering. Sit on that for a second. God often rescues me, not from suffering, but through suffering. It is during hard times that I am awakened. idols, and my sin of idolatry, and sin of unbelief. It's during these times that God rescues me, not from, but through suffering. Third, it makes us more useful to others. When I look at all the people that have made the most impact in my life, not a single one of them, not a single one of them, when you listen to their story, didn't have some story of some hardship, some trial, some suffering. Anybody that's ever made an impact in my life when I listen to their story they've gone through some things can anybody relate? See I realize when we suffer we have a choice. We could become bitter, or we could become better. I Realize in life that it takes very little effort to become bitter It doesn't take a lot of effort to become pessimistic cynical epithetic hard But rare is the person who faces adversity and becomes better for it it's rare that I meet someone who's lived a very charmed life that understands and has deep compassion for hurting people rare and lastly it becomes a mode of witness what do I mean? When you're seen by other people as handling your suffering well, suffering can become a megaphone in which we shout the power of the gospel. I say those things as an introductory remark because we are going to look at Daniel chapter 3 and we come to this story of them being in the furnace, just the back up to set you up we're going through the book of Daniel it's an exilic book it finds the people of God in the city of Babylon and they're asking the question how do we live distinctly Christian lives in this culture in this city in Daniel chapter 3 Nebuchadnezzar the king has erected a statue a golden statue 90 foot high and 9 feet wide and he issues an edict that says all the nations of my kingdom must bow down to this idol figure or else you'll be thrown into the blazing furnace and we pick up the story. Well, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to bow down to this statue. And here's what we find in Daniel chapter three, verse sixteen. Open your Bibles there and follow along. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter." If we're thrown into the Blazing Furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And we picked up this from last week. When we look at what faith is, biblical faith is not believing in spite of evidence, biblical faith is what? It's obeying in spite of consequences. It's believing and obeying in spite of consequences. This statement, God is able to deliver us, and God will deliver us, but even if he does not. For some of us, that makes absolutely no sense because we go, if God can, if God will, why even say if he does not? And if we actually doubt that he may not, how can we say with certainty that God will and God is able? How do you obey in spite of the consequences? How did they obey in spite of consequences? Here it is. Their confidence and their trust was ultimately in God himself and not in their own agenda. The only way that you and I can obey despite consequences is if our agenda is God himself and not in our own agenda. There's a world of difference church. There's a world of difference between believing in God and believing in your agenda for God. There's a world of difference between serving God for what we want and serving God for who He is. These young men, their confidence is in God. If their confidence had been in some agenda that is deliverance, by the way we call that putting your faith in your faith. If their confidence had not been in God himself and not an agenda, they would have never been able to say God can, God will, but even if he doesn't. Let me make it real. The thing that you're praying for, the thing that you're waiting on God for, the thing that you're pleading to God for, if you are more about that thing than you are about God, you'll never be able to utter words, but even if you don't. If you are praying about something, you are waiting God for something, If you are more about that thing, your agenda, than you are about God, you will never be able to utter the words, but even if you don't, the confidence and the trust of these young men is in God Himself and not in their agenda. That's why they're able to say, even if He doesn't, we will not defy you. We don't defy you because we think God will deliver us. We defy you because our God is God. Our God is God church listen to me the only way that you and I will be able to obey and fight despite consequences is if we are able to say not just with our lips with our lives I obey you for you I worship you for you I love you for you and I serve you for you you and remember why they're in this situation in the first place church. Do you remember? Do you remember? They're in this situation because the edict of the king wasn't worship the gods of Babylon instead of your gods. It was what? Worship the gods of Babylon. What? In addition to your gods. In other words, God plus this. God plus that. The challenge for you and me is not, I'm going to worship some other god the challenge for you and me is what God plus this God plus that these young men take God's word seriously when God says have no other God's what before me They take God at his word when God says, have no other gods before me. And by the way, if you are familiar with the first commandment, we think that God is saying what? We think that God is saying, make me a priority. But a better understanding of that Hebrew word translated before me is in my presence. In other words, God is saying, have no other gods in my presence. In other words, God is not saying, make me a top priority. God is saying make me your only priority. God is saying make me your one and only. Not God plus this. God plus that. Jesus must be everything or nothing you know what's funny about that actually it's not funny but you know what's interesting about that last Sunday the dear sister comes to our church she's not a Christian she's on a journey and I love that We have folks in our church who are on a journey she's real fired up she says, I need to talk to you So after church we're walking and she says I just want you to know I'm an all or nothing kind of person And this whole sermon series and this thing that you're talking about, I have to choose, don't I? I said, you get it. You get it. I'm an all or nothing kind of person. Can I ask you something? Do you get it? Do you and I get it? Does our lives say God plus this, God plus that, or is it God, period? how, How do I know? I'll tell you exactly how I know. Because if you use the words, God, obey you, if. God, I'll worship you, if. God, I'll love you, if. God, I'll serve you, if. Whatever is on the other side of that if is the real God of your life. That's the real God of my life. You can, say, hey, you can say all you want whatever is on the other side of that if is the real God of our lives and God says don't make me a means to an end don't come to me with your agenda for your life and ask me to bless it don't try to fit me in I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people over the years have said to me I just trusted God Peter I just trusted God and I asked for these things and prayed for it and God just didn't come through I want to tell you this morning if you're that person sitting here this morning friend you didn't just trust God you trusted God plus this you trusted God plus that I don't know if I want to be a Christian I'll Chuck this whole thing it just isn't working for me Christianity will only work for you if you stay true to him whether he works for you or not if you seek him in order to get your needs met you will neither meet him nor get your needs met God can and God will but even if he doesn't. See, the real miracle didn't happen in the furnace. The real miracle happened before they ever walked into the furnace. Why? Because they were spiritually fireproofed before they were physically fireproofed. They could face anything in life. <clears throat> anything in life. Why? Jesus is everything. Where are you? Where am I? God plus this. God plus that. And what is this and that? About what are you saying? God plus this. God plus What is that? Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shedrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. By the way, they say that the furnace, before it was heated seven times hotter, would have been around 900 to 1000 degrees Celsius. So imagine seven times hotter. It's plenty hot to begin with, but you know what? It just made the miracle that much more powerful verse 20 and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace just give me one minute just give me one minute to do something real interesting so people over the years have talked about how the miracles in the bible aren't really miracles so they try and disprove the miracles but in trying to disprove the miracles they prove the miraculous nature of the miracles does that make sense okay so so for example i read a new testament New Testament historian who doesn't believe the miracles, who said that whole story of Jesus walking on water and coming to the disciples when they're in the boat, what that was was the water was about four inches shallow. And Jesus just, you know, to which I go, wow. Because it then is an unbelievable miracle. That you have a gigantic boat weighing thousands and thousands of pounds with grown men in it, floating on four inches of water. That's that's incredible. Why not just take it with what it says? Our our King of Kings and Lord of Lords is able to do this. Not a problem with him. Verse twenty one. So these men wearing their robes and trousers and turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers Who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Verse 24 Then the king leapt to his feet in amazement And asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace? They replied, certainly your majesty. Verse 25, he said, but look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The word gods literally in Hebrew is Elohim verse 20. Significance it then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the most high God come out come here so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraith, prefects, governors and royal advisors crowded around them they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their heads since the medicine of Luke 21 when Jesus says to his disciples not a hair on your head do you remember that? And there was no smell of fire on them. Listen, listen, listen. I grill Korean barbecue for like 15 minutes from like three feet away. I walk in, my wife goes, I could smell that from a mile away. What you doing? Not a smell. Use your imagination. But here's the thing I want you to sit with before you finish this story. God doesn't rescue them from the fire. God walks with them in the fire. Listen to me, God doesn't rescue them from the fire, He walks them, He walks with them. Verse 29, the Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Sherjak, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. And in Hebrew is the angel of the Lord and rescued his servants. what does this teach us the next 10-15 minutes will be hard but I need you to hang in there with me okay in the Bible furnaces are a metaphor furnaces are a metaphor for what suffering trials hardships first Peter by the way if you want a New Testament parallel That expounds sort of on the book of Daniel first and second Peter is a great book because Peter is writing to Christians in the Roman Empire who are being persecuted first Peter chapter 4 verse 12 Peter says dear friends do not be surprised at the what say with me fiery trial that's come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you in the Bible furnace is a metaphor for hardship child suffering what do we learn three things and then i'm done one suffering is inevitable by the way i just got to ask is this in a strange way kind of encouraging to some of you this is why i love new community because I can't do that in most churches. (laughs) Most churches I say they're like, no, suffering. And can I just press it even further and say, do you also realize that because we're followers of Jesus, it does not mean that we're exempt from it. Jesus' words himself. In John chapter 16 verse 33 I've told you these things so that in me and really be clear in me not by attending church or not by attending small group in me in a personal intimate vital relationship with me you may have peace in this world and he's comparing the world to come with the world that is broken, messed up, jacked up, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Not wanting to suffer is human. Deserving, Not wanting to suffer is human. Thinking that we don't deserve to is unchristian. Not wanting to suffer is absolutely under small human. But if anybody is sitting and going, I don't deserve to, that's unchristian. In this world, the Bible says, one thing is certain, Jesus says, you will have trouble, tragedy, heartbreak, depression, addiction, and the more mundane but no less real, like resentment, loneliness, and disappointment. Nothing is more certain in life than this. There There's no such thing as a painless life now Peter why are you even talking about that I'll tell you why because we live in a culture that doesn't see suffering as natural or normal or anything to be cultivated we live in a culture where suffering comes and life just stops we live in a culture And by the way, this is a very much of a Western American phenomenon because other cultures, I grew up in a culture that saw suffering in some ways as an opportunity, but we have no place for it. Our culture has an aversion to suffering. Conscious avoidance of pain is one thing, but complete intolerance and outright denial is another. I've been a pastor for these years and I've talked to a lot of people who are devastated because of suffering, hardships, and trials. And I got to tell you, half the devastation is because of the shock over their suffering. They're not just suffering, they're shocked that they're suffering. And their shock is half of what devastates them. There's a second promise of Scripture. And hold on to this church hold on to this you ready suffering can relate to your character like fire relates to gold suffering can relate to your character like fire relates to gold again first Peter for a little while you've had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith, my faith, our character, the Bible says, is like gold going through the fire. What does fire do to gold? It purifies it. It makes it better makes it more beautiful but again in all of my years being a pastor, rare is that person who goes through things and says to me, Pastor Peter, I got to tell you I'm grateful for this thing that I'm going through because it's going to make me better rare but here's the thing don't you want to know who you really are don't you don't you want to know what's really in your heart? D- do you church me and realize what a mess our life is going to be? The bad decisions we're going to make, the bad relationships we're going to pursue if we don't know who we really are and what's really inside of our hearts. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Do you want to be someone of deep empathy and compassion? Do you want to be someone who is not self-absorbed and self-centered? Do you want to be someone that other people could look up to? Do you want to be emotionally healthy? Do you want to be so anchored that regardless of circumstances, nothing can shake you? Do you want to be the kind of person that God says, I will use to impact this world for Jesus? Do you want to be that kind of a person? The Bible says that none of those things are achievable without suffering. The Bible says none of those things are achievable without suffering. There's no way to really know who you are, your strengths and your weaknesses until you're tested. Can I get an amen? There's really no way to really learn how to trust God until you're drowning there's no way to really empathize and sympathize with people who are suffering unless you have suffered yourself there's no way re- way to become uh, uh, knowledgeable and wise about how life works without hardships and suffering none of those things are possible the third promise though is the most important because the people ask Peter, does that mean that suffering automatically makes you a better person? Here's what I know. Plenty of people have been broken by suffering, by hardened by suffering. Plenty of people I know have walked away from Christianity because of suffering. But we have a choice on how we will respond To suffering. See, we don't think we have a choice. We Americans don't think we have a choice when we go through suffering, but we do. We think suffering robs us of choices, but we have a choice. And I'm going to put this up there. Here's a choice. We could either become the servant of suffering, or we could make suffering our servant. Suffering could derail our faith, make us hard, make us bitter, pessimistic, angry, or closed, or it could strengthen our faith, it could make us wiser, it could make us better. The same sun that melts clay, hard. The, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. We have a choice and how we will respond. So the question becomes, what do you need to do? What do you need to do in order to grow and not be destroyed? What do you need to do to become better and not bitter? What do you need to do to become mature and wise and not hardened by your suffering? The answer is right here in Daniel 3. Look at this story. Verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar shot because he saw the young men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And that's astonishing, but there's something else even more astonishing. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? What is it? Verse 24 Nebuchadnezzar saw how many figures? How many figures? Four figures walking around and the fourth looked unusual to say the least. Literally the king says that the fourth looked like a son of the gods and the word as I mentioned is Elohim. Evidently even in the midst of the fire and the smoke and the heat, this being, whoever this being is, looks so powerful and so glorious that the majesty of it was noticeable to this pagan king. Who is that figure? in verse 29 he says praise be to the God who sent the angel of the Lord you and I know who this angel of the Lord is Exodus 3, Joshua 5 and other places in the New Testament talks about the angel of the Lord that appears this is Jesus Christ the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity (laughs) what do you and I need to grow here's the last sermon point you need to see Jesus walking with you remember you hear me you need to see Jesus walking with you in the furnace one of my favorite passages in all of scripture is Isaiah 43 Verse 1. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. Church family, the promise is not if you go through the rivers, if you go through the fire, if you go through the waters. the promise The promise is what? The promise is when, when you go through the fire, when you go through the waters. Christians are never promised in the Bible that we will be rescued from suffering. Never. The opposite is true. The Bible is filled with men and women who were not delivered from their suffering. The opposite is true. Jesus actually has asked to say, blessed are those who mourn they will be comforted the promise is never I'll rescue you the promise is what? when you pass through the waters when you pass the rivers I will what? be with you there the promise is I will be with you there you will be able to so powerfully sense my presence, my loving presence with you there that it will be as if I am literally walking with you in me. You may have peace. Is that good news? Do you know why that's important? Instead of, instead of just, just, just talking about it in the realm, I'll tell you why this is important to me. Because all of these years of being a Christian, information will not heal a wounded heart. When I'm going through stuff, the question for me is not necessarily, I need answers to why, I need a who. I need a presence with. I need a presence with and not just anyone but someone who has gone through what I'm going through who has walked with what I've walked through that's why I say the two most powerful words in the English language are the words me too and on the cross of Jesus Christ we have the ultimate Me too. On the cross of Jesus Christ, you see just how far God is willing to go to make good on his promise to be with you and to with me. On the cross, we see if you've ever lost a loved one, a father losing his son. Me too. And on the cross, if you've ever cried out in pain, why? you have jesus crying out why if you've ever gone through the dark night of the soul where you feel forsaken and abandoned by god on the cross you have jesus saying why have you forsaken me And if you've ever been a victim of evil and injustice perpetrated against you, on the cross, we have the perfect, sinless, righteous one, the victim of evil and injustice. On the cross, 2000 years ago, you see God saying, I'm going to make good on my promise to be with you. Do you know why that's important for me? And I'm not just talking as a pastor, and I'm just talking about for me as a person. I don't know if anybody could relate to this, but from my personal experience when I go through stuff, the normal natural reaction for me, for me personally is I'm being punished. I must not be living right. It's, like a, it's almost like a reflex, It's like I'm not living right. And the weird thing is, the weird thing is, even though I'm a Christian, I believe the gospel. It's like, I believe that if I'm living right, then good things are going to happen. If I'm not living right, bad things are going to happen. Does anybody else struggle with this? I, and I'm a follower of Jesus for crying out loud. I actually think there's a link between suffering and punishment. And so when suffering and hardships come, not only is there deep sorrow, but I'm confused and I genuinely ask God, do you care? Do you love me? Are you there? Nicholas Walter Storff. some of you actually may know him. He taught philosophy at Calvin College for years and taught at Yale, I think. In the mid-80s, he lost his 25-year-old son in a mountain climbing accident. And people ask this Christian philosopher, how can you believe in a God if he lets that happen? How can you believe in a loving God if he lets that happen? And he wrote a memoir called Lament for a Son let me read you just a portion of what he wrote this was his answer he said God is love that's why he suffers to love our suffering sinful world is to suffer God so suffered for the world that he gave up his only son to suffering see the one who does not see God's suffering does not see his love God is suffering love suffering is the meaning of our world for love is the meaning and love ultimately suffers. And I love this lesson. The tears of God are the meaning of history. At the most mundane level, if you're a parent, you know this. you parent, you go, if I have kids, I'm never going to be happy again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because that little thing that comes into the world, you're like, you wrecked my life. What do I mean? This is what I mean. You become so bound. Your heart becomes so bound to that child that when they're not happy, you can't be happy. When they're in pain, you're in pain. When they're suffering, you're suffering. To suffer is to love. And greater the love, oh, greater the suffering. How do you know that God loves you? What do you see on the cross? What do you see on the cross? You see a suffering Savior. (laughs) On the cross, you see a suffering Savior. If you're not suffering, you're not loving. (laughs) Greater the love, greater the suffering. You ever think about this? Why didn't God just rescue, rescue them by just supernaturally delivering them? He could. The king gets it in verse 29. Why, why did God go in there? He says, no other God can save this way. Now the cross doesn't tell you why God won't end suffering here today, but the cross tells you what the answer isn't. It isn't that he doesn't care. It isn't that he doesn't love. It isn't. On the cross, you see a suffering Savior who came 2,000 years ago as we celebrate Advent, you guys, who willingly walks into the furnace of human suffering. Who willingly takes on flesh and bone, who willingly experiences abandonment, rejection, hunger, thirst, and ultimately, yes, death, death for our sins, death for our evil, death for our injustice, so that someday he could end sin, evil, and injustice once and for all without ending us. Why? Because he cares that much. Why? Because he hates suffering that much. See, people go, does God exist? It's a stupid question. Do you know why? Because if God does exist and he doesn't care, none of this matters. None of this matters. But what do you see on the cross? A suffering Savior. How can I know that when the bottom falls out, he loves me get your eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ if you're going through fiery furnace get your eyes on the cross because as soon as you do as soon as you do you'll at least know this God loves you that will not make sense of what's going on but you'll know that God loves you today God will love you tomorrow God will love you until he sees you face to face and you are in his arms and it's not because of my circumstances. My circumstances right, tell me, might tell me otherwise. God doesn't love me. My circumstances. Where is God? But I keep my eyes on the cross and see the suffering Savior know that because of the cross, the good news is not God exhorting us from heaven to say, hang on, Peter. Hang on and bear it, grin it. The good news is that God is hanging on to me and he will not let me go. Until all sorrow and all suffering is gone. <laughs> when I was in college, CeCe, you can come on up. When I was in college, I came across this verse, and it floored me, and it stayed with me it comes from Malachi chapter 3 verse 2 are you familiar with it Well, God says to his people he will be like a refiner's fire that first led to a journey of looking at these powerful metaphors in the Bible of God saying he's the refiner and we are like gold and silver and here's what the research produced in terms of why that metaphor is so powerful do you know what happens to produce gold and silver there are six stages. First stage is called the breaking. The refiner begins by breaking up the rough ore, hardened rock, encased with all kinds of other minerals. And the breaking of the rock is necessary for the second step, which is what? The crucible. The refiner puts the broken ore with all kinds of elements into this thing, fireproof, that can withstand any heat. And he places the crucible into the furnace at the precise temperature needs to remove all the stuff that mars the quality of that gold third phase was called the dross as the ore melts all the impurities would come to the surface and the silversmith the refiner would clear the dross then came the heat which is he would put that thing back in because here's (laughs) the thing please listen only certain impurities are released at certain temperatures there's certain impurities that needed certain temperatures to be released so sometimes of seven times hotter the refiner would put that back until the impurities were released then the fifth stage was purification he would continue to clear the dross until the metal became more and more pure and Job says this in 23.10. He knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. But here's the last phase. You ready? Do you know how that refiner knew that that gold or that silver was ready? The last phase was called the reflection. The refiner would take the gold and silver, and if he could see his reflection in the precious metal. He knew that metal was right. And Isaiah 48, 10 says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Jesus Christ came and suffered. Not so that you and I would not suffer, but that in our suffering we would be conformed to the likeness of his son. It's never punishment. It's to redeem us and to conform us in the image of his son. Is that good news to anybody? Is that good news to anybody? <laughs> Let me leave you with this. If you're going through something as I am right now. My prayer oftentimes is, God, I don't want you to walk with me. Just get me out. Just get me out. God, I don't don't want you to walk with. Rescue, deliver, push the EJAC button right now. But I hear God, and I hold on to this promise. Peter, I will be with you. And if you trust and see me walking with you, this will not harden you or break you and make you bitter and cynical. It will become wiser and more mature. And I hold on to this promise as we now shift to Advent. 2,000 years ago when the Savior came, of all the names that he could have chosen, the Bible says in Matthew 1.23, and the virgin will give birth to a child, a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. the name.